Have the Conversation Podcast. Have the Conversation Podcast. Have the Conversation Podcast. The Have the Conversation Podcast. Have the Conversation Podcast. Real people, real conversations. I am pumped to be part of Have the Conversation. Contributing to the conversation this week is Dr. Nawaz Habib, a doctor of chiropractic, functional medicine practitioner, and author of Activate Your Vagus Nerve. Dr. Habib empowers his clients to dig a little deeper and find the answers to what's holding back their health and affecting their energy and productivity. He works with entrepreneurs, executives, and professional athletes who want to take their health to a new level, allowing them to impact and serve more people. In fact, I came across his book when I was in the process of helping one of my clients deal with digestive issues and learned so much about the elusive vagus nerve. So when he agreed to stop by and talk with us, I couldn't help but be so grateful. Having gone through his own personal experiences with poor health and weight struggles, Dr. Habib is well-equipped to implement personalized recommendations for each of his clients. He helps them identify the root cause of health imbalances and addresses them naturally, allowing his patients to experience optimal health in the way their bodies were meant to feel, rather than continuing to deal with the stressors that are holding them back. For more information on today's episode, be sure to visit htcpod.com. While you're there, punch in your email address and subscribe so you never miss an episode. How's your sleep lately? As a trainer, the subject of sleep is often a main topic of discussion. Nobody sleeps perfectly every night, but I have to tell you, I've never slept better than I have since I've discovered the Chili Pad. Chili Pad is a mattress pad that uses cooling technology to keep your bed at exactly the temperature you want all night long. You can set it as low as 55 degrees, like my furnace of a fiance does, or take it all the way up to 95 if you have no problem staying cold on your own. Our bodies need a dark and cool atmosphere to get the most out of our sleep, and the Chili Pad has been one of my favorite sleep hacks to do just that. Go to ChiliPad.com to learn more about the Chili Pad and its upgrade, the Uller. That's C-H-I-L-I-P-A-D.com. They even offer a new Chili-weighted blanket to keep you calm and cool all night long. If you like what you see, use the code HAVETHECONVO for a special discount at checkout. That's all one word, HAVETHECONVO, for discounts off your new Chili Pad. Sleep tight. I wanted to tell you that the vagus nerve has been a very elusive thing for me. I've read a lot of books on digestion and and health in general, and they've referred to it a little bit, but I kind of understood it as a brain body connection to, to just the stomach and nothing further. And I, I train a client that has pretty severe digestive problems. And so I told her I would look into it and that's how I discovered your book. And I was just totally blown away at what the vagus nerve is and, and everything it does for us. And I definitely want to get into all of that um, in a little bit, but I did want to ask you first for our listeners, well, what is the vagus nerve and why is it so important? Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, the vagus nerve really truly is, in my opinion, the nerve of thriving. We, we tend to think of health as just survival and being able to kind of be uh, here present, but The vagus nerve is that thriving nerve, the nerve that if it's functioning really well, provides all of the foundational tools for optimal function within our bodies. It is the 10th cranial nerve. So we have 12 pairs of cranial nerves. These are the nerves that go to the head and face area, but only one of these cranial nerves leaves this area, and that is the vagus nerve. 
it's called the vagus nerve because the root word of the vagus nerve is vague or wandering is kind of where it came from. And because of that, it, it was given that name simply because it goes so extensively throughout the rest of our body. It's so important to send information from the brain to so many different organs and from all of those organs back up to the brain. And that's, what's really great about this nerve is it's so widespread. It's so vast in its control and its function that if we look at it holistically and we understand how to optimize and create optimal function within it, then we can actually create optimal health and thriving. Mm -hmm. Wow. So what made you so interested in the vagus nerve in writing a book about it? I'm a chiropractor by profession. And so being a chiropractor, uh, I was always really interested in the nervous system, really interested in physiological function and how our brains kind of interact with the rest of our bodies. And so the cranial nerve 10 was this really cool nerve. It was the one that left the, the head cavity. It was the one that, that traveled alongside the carotid artery and jugular vein. And it was so important in creating a connection between the brain and the heart, the lungs, the, uh, all of the organs within the abdomen. We, we always talk about kind of from a chiropractic perspective, when the nerves are out of alignment, when the spine is out of alignment, it creates pressure and puts uh, issues through the nerves to all of these other organs. And it actually leads to challenges within those areas. That's where my interest in it began, but it kind of waned after a little while as I started just getting into chiropractic care and hands-on kind of function, but it always kind of was there in the back of my mind. When I graduated from chiropractic college in 2010, I weighed 250 pounds. I had high blood pressure, high blood sugar. I was borderline diabetic. I had so many health challenges that somebody in their 20s should not have. And it was just something that was, was always underlying, always causing challenges within me. And so as I started to learn about functional medicine and understand the root cause of my health conditions, my health challenges, I was able to start making some changes. I started uh, identifying what was going wrong using functional lab testing, uh, identifying which nutrients were missing in my body, understanding why it was happening because something was happening within my gut that was not optimal. And so these tests gave me this direction. It gave me a very clear picture and understanding of what was happening. And I was able to take steps accordingly. I lost 75 pounds. I got rid of all of those health struggles. And in doing so, I realized that the, the stuff that I was doing in chiropractic and the understanding of what health truly was in, in being able to thrive, being able to show up with energy every morning, being able to be the best version of myself because biochemically and physically I was functioning at a much higher level than I was previously, that that was what I needed to share with people. And that was the connection point for me back to the vagus nerve because it was such a wide ranging optimal change that occurred within my body. It led to all of these positive changes. Uh, and so I started to, to learn a little bit more about the connection to the digestive system, the connection to the immune system, the connection to inflammation, the connection to hormones, and taking all of that information then and being able to plug it into what I was doing, not only for myself, but then with clients, with patients. And then I shifted my practice from hands-on chiropractic into functional medicine because of that. 
And as I became more and more aware of how the vagus nerve functioned, how we could optimize it, what are the little changes that we could make to make it work, that's what led me into writing the book and going through this, uh, becoming kind of the vagus nerve guy as it stands. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good title. <laughs> yeah, that's a good title. I'm just wondering, as I've been in the health and fitness industry for over 10 years now, and why am I just now learning about this? Why aren't more people talking about the vagus nerve? It's a great question. Um, I'll say from my opinion, from, from the way that I've kind of thought about these things, it's overlooked significantly. And it's because it's such a vast and, and misunderstood nerve. And I think that's really where, where we can start to enlighten ourselves a little bit and, and learn what the next steps are uh, with it. There's so much research that's been done on this nerve. Literally, if you go to PubMed, or you even just type in Google uh, vagus nerve functions, um, it'll come up as parasympathetic nervous system. That's it. Yeah. Done? That's what I kept coming up against. Yeah. And then I just shut down. <laughs> and, and that's important, right? Like the, the parasympathetic nervous system is, is controlled through the vagus nerve. But only 15% of the information on the vagus nerve is parasympathetic. 85% of the information on this nerve is not. That means that there's so much more information that's going through this nerve. Uh, if, if you go through the research and you truly understand what it's meant to be doing, that's, that's probably why it hasn't come out because it's, it was, go ask any conventional medical doctor right now, what does my vagus nerve do? They'll say parasympathetic nervous system. And then you can ask them, what does it do? And they'll probably say, well, I don't know. That's about it. They haven't been taught about it. They haven't, it hasn't been uh, a source of therapy. Unfortunately, it hasn't been a source or a, a target for therapeutic approaches as yet. And I think that's something that needs to change. Yeah. Big yeah. missed opportunity to help a lot of people. What type of information does the vagus nerve send from your brain to your body? Yeah. So we, we kind of alluded to this, but that 15% of information that's parasympathetic that's controlling the automatic functions within our body. These are functions called the autonomic nervous system. So we have two branches to the autonomic nervous system. And what the autonomic nervous system basically controls is all of the things that we don't consciously think about that our body's always doing. We're breathing. I'm not thinking about my heart beating, but it is. I'm not thinking about detoxifying my blood, but it's happening. I'm not thinking about digesting my food and letting that turn into what it needs to and go through and get the nutrients in. But those things are happening. And so those automatic functions that need to happen without our conscious thought is what's controlled by this autonomic nervous system. We have two branches within that system. The ones that are uh, focused on our survival. That's the sympathetic nervous system. That's the fight and flight system. And then we've got the parasympathetic side, which is the rest and digest side. I've added a little bit to this. It's not rest and digest, it's rest digest and recovery. And this is really important. We tend to forget that recovery piece here. We tend to forget that our bodies go through stressors every single day. We're challenged with financial challenges. We're challenged with physical stress. We're challenged with biochemical toxins and stuff within and around us. Those stressors build up. And so we have a certain threshold that we can handle and we need that recovery to take place so that we can handle it day after day after day. If we don't, then our body starts to, to slowly deteriorate and go down a path of disease and not health anymore. And so what the vagus nerve's job is, is to control that parasympathetic nervous system to shift us into that state where we can go into rest, 
where we can go into digestion state where our digestive system actually functions really well. And then the last part is that recovery piece, recovering from those stressors that are occurring on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. That's that 15% of information on the parasympathetic side. The, the big piece of information on the parasympathetic, or on the vagus nerve, excuse me, is the information that's coming from all of the other organs going up to the brain. These are like the thermostat markers. This is the uh, status update of what's happening within our body going up to our brain so that it can be processed at a central location. 80% of the information is there. That's information of what's happening in our heart. What's going on with our heartbeat? What's going on with our lungs? Are we breathing well? Are we using our diaphragm or are we using our accessory breathing muscles? What's going on with the stomach? Do we produce enough stomach acid or not? Is there maybe some sort of inflammatory trigger that's leading to heartburn or something along that? What's going on in the liver? In the, uh, the liver has like 500 different functions. Honestly, if we go through it, in my opinion, the organ that matters the most to our thriving is the liver. In the same way that if a garbage man doesn't show up to clear our, our stuff every, every week, the garbage piles up, the toxins build up, the rats and whatever else shows up. We have challenges within our, our system. In the same way, if our liver doesn't clear out those toxins, in the way that it should, it's going to create all of these major challenges within our body. The toxins build up. So the liver is really important here. And so we get a lot of information passing from the liver to the brain telling us what are we dealing with. And then the most important area is that gut-brain connection. That's where the vagus nerve really thrives. We have 100 trillion bacteria in our large intestine alone. We need to know what's going on with that information. We only have 50 trillion human cells in our own body. So that, that balance of information, the balance of what's going on in the microbiome needs to be status updated to the brain. And that information needs to pass effectively. If it doesn't, we have imbalance that occurs within the gut. We have imbalance that occurs within the microbiome that leads to inflammation that leads to possibly immune challenges that leads to major dysfunction throughout the rest of our body. So this is where a lot of these challenges can come up. We need to make sure that the vagus nerve is getting that status update to the brain, making that information available to whatever else needs to happen there. Mm -hmm. So 80% coming up from the gut, from the organs to the brain, 15% from the brain as parasympathetic information. And then we have a 5% remaining about 4% of that is motor information. And these are where we can actually create therapy and actually use this information to activate the vagus nerve. So the motor branches go to the pharyngeal and the laryngeal muscles, essentially the muscles at the back of the airway, the back of the throat, and the muscles around the vocal cords. So the reason I have pitch and tone within my voice, the reason I can go really, really low or really, really high is because my vagus... Can you go higher? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I don't want to scare anyone off today. (laughs) My daughters can go higher for sure. (laughs) So the, the nerve information that's going to those muscles is creating tension within the vocal cords. And that's what's allowing for pitch and tonality within our voice as well. So we have to keep that information in mind. So that's 4% of the information is going to those muscles. We can use these. And this is important to keep in mind for when we get to how do we therapeutically boost or activate the nerve to do its job effectively. The last little bit is that last 1% of information that comes through the auricular branch of vagus nerve and actually goes to skin on the ear. 
And this is also something we can use therapeutically. We can do acupressure, we can do acupuncture, auricular acupuncture. We can actually just even press or tickle the skin of the ear to stimulate the vagus nerve. And so this is information that we can use in a therapeutic sense. So this is what we'll talk about down the road for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I did want to ask, because you were talking so much about the gut. Um, A lot of my clients deal with cravings being one of their major boundaries for, you know, making (laughs) long lasting improvement. Yeah, no, me too. I mean, everyone has them. Um, And you talk about in the book, the connection between your gut microbiome and your cravings. Can you explain that? Yeah, no question. There is a very strong connection between the hormones and the neurotransmitters that are created within our gut and cravings that we have, which is really crazy. So just as a fun little stat for us, about 94% of the serotonin within our body is located within our enteric nervous system. What that means is serotonin is our mood molecule. The reason we crave or we want or we're happy when we have certain foods or we, we feel happier when certain things happen uh, that get, come into the gut is because it's stimulating serotonin production. And 94% of that serotonin is in the enteric nervous system, meaning the nervous system in and around the gut. It's what's considered the second brain. In my opinion, it's actually the first. So that information, or there's, there's more nerve endings in the gut than there are in our brain and our central nervous system, which is crazy. Yeah, so I that, that. yeah, the serotonin levels that are there are directly proportionate to the microbiome that we have. So our gut microbiome being balanced creates this serotonergic uh, connection. We actually produce serotonin based on the byproducts that are created by these bacteria based on the foods that we're eating. When we have a diet that isn't optimal or is full of sugar or whatever else that, that could be creating these challenges, it shifts the bacterial balance, which leads to different changes in serotonin. And what happens is that bacterial population wants certain things to come in. They want the sugar, they want the chocolate, they want the coffee, and they're going to go out and create those cravings by shifting your serotonin balance within your gut. When they talk about gut feelings, that's what they're talking about. And so those gut feelings, those, uh, those cravings, those desires shift serotonin and even dopamine as well, which is more of that motivation, reward-seeking uh, active, activation that occurs within our neurotransmitters. And then on the hormone side, different hormones, obviously a hormonal balance. If we're talking stress hormones, sex hormones, we can activate uh, different microbiome balances based on our biochemistry, based on our hormone balance. And so that can create some cravings, obviously for females at certain times of the month, we might crave more carbs or we might crave more fats at certain different times. For males, it happens in a slightly different way. Manopause is a whole nother thing that we can talk about down the road. But yeah, please. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> Lots of questions on that one. <laughs> men, men have hormone changes too. I can assure you of all of yeah. that. <laughs> but essentially what happens is we have these microbiome changes, which lead to neurotransmitter changes, which create these cravings. And so that balance of serotonin, that balance of dopamine is what actually leads to the cravings. Uh, in our gut. And it's a gut feeling that triggers that desire or that want. You often notice that the the craving occurs in your mouth, not in your brain. Mm-hmm. Right? And so it's, it's more of a, oh, I want it here. I want to feel it. And it's actually your gut bacteria telling you they want it. It's like you're hijacked. That's yeah. crazy. Oh my gosh. I've got to 
shit storm going on inside <laughs> after hearing that explanation like i need wow okay that's wild i did not know that i did not know any of that so leanne sang the praises of your books uh, or of your book excuse me and so that's how i even heard about the vagus nerve so i'm coming in just ready to learn and I'll pick my mouth up off the ground right now and you, I'll let you continue. But like, I had no idea that any of that stuff was, you know, all contributing. That's really interesting. Yeah. Really, really interesting. It also shifts your leptin and ghrelin as well, which has to do with like hunger and overeating. And there's, there's all of those hormones that, that link very strongly to that gut microbiome as well. And so obesity and diabetes, these are all linked to vagus nerve function and to the gut microbiome balance as well. Wow. And just as easy as it is for your gut microbiome to send that message of craving to your brain, is it possible for you to kind of forcefully change your eating habits to change the gut microbiome, to change the craving message? It's a slightly more difficult pathway, but with a stronger connection through the vagus nerve, being able to shift yourself into parasympathetic more, more readily, you can help to shift the microbiome balance. Uh, it's almost it's almost more of a willpower type of creation, saying that if I have the ability to shift in that parasympathetic, I tend to have higher willpower. And so then the biochemistry will follow because the actions will create the changes internally. So avoiding sugar for a month will lead to less sugar cravings after that month. But it's because of the strong vagus nerve function, the strong parasympathetic activation that you've got going on uh, earlier on, you're more likely to have less of those challenges. You're more likely to complete that full month of uh, minimal sugar or whatever it is you're trying to do. So does then does eating a lot of sugar and having a poor diet create a fight or flight state? Yeah, it absolutely does. When really? we when we take on too much of these uh, negative inputs, the the sugars, the processed foods, ultra-processed foods, seed oils, stuff like that. What we're essentially doing is we're shifting the microbiome, which is creating more of these challenges. It's creating more stress. And what that does is that stress is what takes over or hijacks the vagus nerve and pushes us into a sympathetic response more readily. So we're more in that fight or flight response, even from a biochemical level, because the... Um, the issues or the internal area has been basically hijacked by this excess inflammation. So chronic use of these, these stressors, chronic biochemical stress, including uh, chronic physical stress and emotional and psychological stressors, the things that we're more used to calling stress, will all lead to suppression of the vagus nerve and more of a shift towards that sympathetic side. Mm. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> we got a lot to work on. <laughs> I need to be like wrung out and like let out to dry for a while. We got to get all this out of me. That's so crazy. Yeah. I'm wondering, have, have they done any studies that you're aware of of people who have maybe like spinal cord injuries? How does this affect them? And, and can they get anything back after this damage has been done? Great question. It's not spinal cord injuries okay. that would lead to an issue here because the vagus nerve leaves the brain above the spinal cord. So we've got brain, okay. we've got the cerebellum, which is kind of that hindbrain area, the behind that hindbrain area. And then we've got the brain stem. 
the brainstem is this area we we've all heard of like the medulla oblongata that whole area inside there there's a bunch of nuclei where the cranial nerves begin that's where the the vagus nerve comes out from the brainstem it then descends into the spinal cord so spinal cord injury is not an issue that said vagus nerve injury is and so you can injure your vagus nerve or compress or have physical trauma to the vagus nerve. It's very, very common. Uh, whiplash is very heavily associated with it. Uh, surgical uh, interruption of the nerve is is uh, very common as well, especially if you're having something done in and around the gut. Uh, snipping or accidentally having a piece of the vagus nerve cut is a very common occurrence. The most common thing that occurs here is slowing down of the digestive system. We've had, uh, there's, there's certain conditions that lead to incredibly slow function of the stomach, incredibly slow peristalsis. It's because of uh, potentially damage that's occurred within the vagus nerve. So vagus nerve damage can be both physical or biochemical and functional in nature as well. So there's different ways that this can be affected. But yeah, there are quite a few studies out there showing that when the vagus nerve is cut in some way or, or shape, it actually leads to significant challenges below. And that's how we know what the functions of the vagus nerve. Yeah. So how do you test that or find that in patients that there is damage? Like what's that process look like? It's often just going back towards their history and understanding, did they have a car accident? Did they have a physical trauma that might've occurred? Did they have some sort of biochemical challenge that might've led to it? it it's, it's a matter of being kind of more of that detective and figuring out exactly what those uh, historical markers are that might have led to it. This is something that uh, functional medicine really taught me to do well is to timeline out people's lives and understand kind of step by step what are the pieces to their health puzzle that occurred and being able to look back and say, okay, you had a car accident when you were 15 and then when you were 17, you really started having these gut issues and now these challenges of blah, 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 right? So timelining these things out and being able to identify where that root cause or that that traumatic incident occurred that's going to create the real positive change wow yeah that's really amazing i know for a lot of people um and i'll just speak on my experience i've been that's such a process to have to go back through that and to find a, a doctor who will sit down and do that with you or someone that you trust is so difficult i mean that's a big reason why I'm so hesitant to go to the doctor, but that's why I'm drawn more towards the functional medicine side of things, because I do feel like it's more of like a catered experience almost or a boutique experience where they really yeah. do sit down and, and get to know you and, and not just prescribe. So that's, that's incredible. Yeah. I, I believe that the, the training that we receive as functional medicine doctors, uh, what it does is, is, the vast majority of us that have gotten into functional medicine went through our own health journey, went through our own health struggles. You'll, you'll find 80, 90% of the functional medicine practitioners that are out there have gone through some sort of health struggle on their own or their family member uh, had, had a challenge. And they were a medical doctor, a chiropractor, a physio, massage, whatever it was that they were previously, or they, they still have their degree in the answers weren't present within their profession and they looked outside of the profession. And what this specifically does is it helps to create this, exactly like you said, a boutique style therapeutic um, journey. And, and it creates the way that, that functional medicine doctors look at a person's case is not what are your symptoms? Okay, you have X diagnosis, Y diagnosis, 
ZDIZ diagnosis, whatever it is, you likely have something that occurred. And the, the question that we're always asking ourselves is why? Why did this happen? Why did this occur for this person at this time? What are the challenges that could have occurred? What are the, the, the triggers that might have occurred? We have to look back. We have to ask that question why. If we don't, we're never truly addressing the root cause of said issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so sad too that it has to be a completely different profession. Your doctor isn't necessarily going to do that. That's what you go to the doctor for is to find the root of the issue. That's what we've that been told, right? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. It doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah, the, the system's really shifted. And, and I'm, it's sad to see because there's so many wonderful docs out there who are just misguided in, in how they've been trained or they, they've got so much information in their brain. Here's a fun little stat. There are now more than 10,000 diagnoses in the ICD-10 codes that doctors have to like ideally memorize all of. How much more information could they keep in their brain? They're not worried about why. They're trying to figure out what it is, right? What are those diagnoses? For me, a diagnosis isn't the end all and be all. The diagnosis for me is an important piece of the puzzle. It's a flagstick for what's happening internally. But the diagnosis doesn't always have to be the answer. The answer is why did this diagnosis happen in this person? and stepping back and looking upstream of the issue. That's what I was taught by my mentor, Sachin Patel. It's what I've been taught by numerous functional medicine practitioners that have just really helped me see why did something happen to somebody and answer that question. Well, that's what I really love. At the beginning of your book, you talked about the model of the healthcare system operating under the belief that the body makes mistakes and cannot self-regulate um, and that pushes them towards prescriptions and, and medications. Um, can you explain like the danger of this and, and why it's incorrect? I wouldn't say it's incorrect. What I would say is it's misguided. Okay. Um, the, the way that our bodies function is that they respond to whatever input we create or whatever environment we are in. Our bodies are phenomenal, right? The, the human cell if found in space, would be the greatest discovery of our lifetime. But here on Earth, we take it for granted, right? This cell, this this thing that we've become has been so resilient to all of these environmental changes, all of these biochemical and physical and emotional stressors that we've put on it, and yet we're still thriving. We're not... The human body doesn't make mistakes. The human body responds to inputs. And our job is to help identify what are those inputs? Are they helping or are they hurting? And in certain cases, pharmaceuticals are necessary. In certain cases, drugs are, are going to be very beneficial in making sure that somebody doesn't uh, hurt themselves or, or go down the path where they end up not surviving. But there are very few medications that are truly addressing the root cause of a problem. And I'm not here to bash the pharmaceutical industry in any way. I just think that there is, there is a misguided thing here that doctors of medicine don't just have to prescribe medicine. They have to look at the lifestyle. They have to look at the person holistically. And I think doctors are overworked. They're given so much responsibility. They're given the responsibility of 100 patients a day that they have to see. They don't have the ability to put enough attention to any single person. 
to be able to timeline out their health challenges or to be able to help figure out what what things that this person can do over time. And that's where functional medicine comes in because it it really closes the gap on uh, the, the stressed out, seeing 100 patients a day type of doctor. It, it I see six in a day if I'm busy, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I spend time, I spend 30 to 60 minutes with a person talking through their challenges, coaching them through some of the changes, identifying where I see need for support, and I, I help create said change. And I make recommendations, whether nutritional, lifestyle, supplement, like whatever it is that that I see that we can add in naturally and easily. And the, the key is empowerment here, right? We're, we're not looking to just tell the person what they have to do. We're looking to empower them to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll sit down with every single person in my first call and... 95% of them have seen the matrix. I'll say, I'm Morpheus and you're Neo. <laughs> you're doing the work. I'm just here to guide you. It's up to you. Yeah. Right. And at the end of the day, that's what uh, the doctor's job truly is. I remember this one quote. I absolutely love this quote. It says, The doctor's job is to distract the mind while the body does the healing. I love that quote. I don't remember where it came from. Uh, but it, it's, it really guides the way that I practice, the way that I talk to people, the way that I uh, approach any situation with a client. I'm here to help ease your stress so that your body can figure out what it needs to do. Mm-hmm. I want to um, backtrack for a second because we talked about someone who had experienced trauma or spinal cord injury. What about for people who haven't necessarily had any sort of like external real traumatic experience, what are ways that, that that person would know that they have less than optimal vagus nerve function? It's a great question. The key most important thing is if you're not going to the bathroom regularly, if you have inflammatory issues going on, or if you have chronic pain, those are probably the top three that are, are linked directly to vagus nerve dysfunction. Essentially, if, if your body is not functioning optimally, to some degree, your vagus nerve is not going to be uh, thriving. And so there are tools out there that we can use to help identify whether or not the vagus nerve is functioning really well or not. And the primary tool, the primary measure that's used by, by most people is heart rate variability. So HRV is not a marker of heart rate. So heart rate means beats per minute. In one minute, my heart beats 60 times approximately. Okay. But heart rate variability measures the time in milliseconds between beats of your heart. Okay. The more variation we have, the stronger your vagus nerve is. And the reason for that is our heart gets innervation both from the parasympathetic and the sympathetic. The parasympathetic comes through the vagus nerve. The sympathetic comes from sympathetic nerve ganglion that come across through the spinal cord. And they go to the heart and they tell the heart to speed up or slow down. So the sympathetic nervous system increases heart rate. It sends information to the heart and says, 60 is not fast enough, beat faster. We need more blood going to more places because we are stressed. So we need to send more oxygen. We need to send more blood to all of these organs. So the heart rate increases. The parasympathetic's job is to say, nope, chill out, slow (laughs) down. And so it brings the heart rate down. Now, what's really cool about this is the sympathetic innervation is constant. It's constantly saying up, 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 up. The parasympathetic is saying down, down. 
and it's slow and it's rhythmic. And so what happens is if we measure those times in milliseconds of beats of your, or between the beats of our heart, those times can vary. Okay. If our heart is beating like rhythmic, completely rhythmic, where there's very little variation, means the vagus nerve innervation is not working well. It means that the sympathetic is. So heart rate variability, where we have higher variation, tells us that our vagus nerve is working better. So a lower number, something in the 20s or 30s, 20 to 30 milliseconds, is something that would be considered a low heart rate variability, meaning there's not a lot of variation occurring, meaning that sympathetic innervation is high. When we get up into the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, even the 100s, that's a resilient person. That's somebody who has vagus nerve activation uh, during that time significantly, and they're able to recover from said stressors because their vagus nerve is pumping huge chunks of information to the heart to slow down, slow down. And it's creating this major variation in the time between those heartbeats. The best way to know this is to get some sort of tool where you can measure this. Okay. The aura ring is my absolute favorite. I've been using it for years now. It's upstairs charging. Otherwise I'm always wearing it. Um, there are amazing tools called the whoop band, which a lot a of athletes use. Yeah. HRV. It's a measure of readiness. It's a measure of your resilience basically. And so I imagine when you get your whoop score, your readiness score, whatever it is that shows up on the whoop, same as the aura ring does. When your readiness is high, it's because your HRV is high, mm -hmm. right? And so that's telling you, okay, you've recovered. Your vagus nerve is on, push yourself today. Mm -hmm. But then on other days, it says, no, you need time. Your HRV is a bit lower. You're not doing so hot today. Slow down, take today easy. And so you don't push yourself that day. The whoop tells you that. So this is a great tool because it's a feedback mechanism for what's happening internally. That's what I love too. Cause I, I used to be an athlete and we were taught like, it doesn't really matter how you feel. You got to push through it. Um, it was more of an endurance sport. So I think I taught myself to ignore the, how I was feeling and the signs. And that's why I loved having that subjective information or sorry, objective information yeah. from the whoop to, to tell me like, no, 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 you do need to slow down today. And, and vice versa, you know, you wake up some days and you're just not feeling it, but if your whoop tells you recovered, then it's like, well, just suck it up and, and go get after it, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Like the, the question is, should I push myself today? And if your body can't handle it and you push yourself, you're actually doing more damage. You're not giving yourself that ability to be resilient and to be strong. And that's where the recovery piece of the vagus nerve really comes in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my favorite part of your book was towards the end when you talk about all the different ways people can help activate their vagus nerve and apply it to their life. And, and I was amazed by a lot of it is you can do it right now. You don't need extra tools or, or to buy anything. Um, can you tell people how to, how to activate it? Yeah, absolutely. The reason I, I kind of go through, yeah, <laughs> the reason I go through my process of, understanding the, uh, the anatomy, understanding the physiology, understanding why the vagus nerve, what it's attaching to, where it's going, is you can then use that information in the long term, right? So the things that are going to stress us out are those physical, biochemical, emotional, and psychological stressors that we have. That's what's going to push the vagus nerve down. That's going to push our HRV level down. The things that are going to boost it are the things that the vagus nerve is connected to that we have control over. 
we don't have auto, we don't have conscious control of our digestion or our liver. So you can't just be like, yo, liver, do this. It doesn't work that way, right? So what That'd we need nice. to do uh, would be amazing, right? What we can do is address it using the muscles that are innervated by the vagus nerve and some of the organs that are innervated by vagus nerve. So the first one, the most important one where everybody in the world needs to start is the breath. Controlling our breath is the single strongest way to shift your state. Okay. We can shift our state. This is, this is the coolest thing. This is pure empowerment for anybody out there who thinks they can't do this. You can shift from sympathetic to parasympathetic in three seconds, literally slow down your breath, take a breath using your diaphragm, big belly breath. This is something that's taught to us in yoga. I love to have my patients do this. I have them put one hand on their chest, one hand on their belly, slow down, close their eyes, take a deep breath. And make sure that the only hand that's moving is the one that's on their belly. If the hand that's on your chest is moving, that means you're using your chest muscles, your accessory breathing muscles, even probably your traps. Why so many people have tight traps and upper back muscles is often because they're breathing with these muscles, not just because we're in our crouched, crappy laptop and cell phone positions, <laughs> but because we're not breathing correctly. We haven't learned or relearned to breathe with our diaphragm. If you ever watched a baby breathe, I have a four-year-old and an eight-month-old. Oh, so I, I let's see, I'm super. <laughs> Two girls on top of that. So yeah. Oh, wow. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. Best of luck to you. <laughs> so the best thing in the world for me was when they were calm and relaxed, when they were babies, just watching their breathing happen. And all you're seeing, their chest is not moving at all. It's just their belly rising and falling. That's something that we've forgotten to do. We've forgotten as we grow older, even my four-year-old at this point has, has shifted her breathing to chest breathing. I'll say, take a deep breath. Yeah. Go, it's not good. Yeah. My kids do the same thing. Yeah. Right. We have to slowly shift it back to diaphragmatic breathing. So hand on the chest, hand on the belly, and only the belly should be moving out with expansion or with inhale and in with uh, the exhale. That's a sign that we're then using the diaphragm. Here's an awesome little uh, trick or a little tool. Tell somebody to take in a deep breath and then say, okay, breathe in deeper. If you can breathe in deeper, it means you weren't using your diaphragm in the first place. Your diaphragm continues to expand. It continues to, to push, which is really, really important. So diaphragmatic breathing, no question about it. Like three deep diaphragmatic breaths will shift your state from sympathetic to parasympathetic immediately. It's so fast. That's something that we can use. So you're feeling stressed out. Something is up. You're about to have a big meal. Shift your state into that rest and digest state. Use three deep breaths. Here's the other really cool thing about this. When we're breathing with our diaphragm, it's not simply just creating that vacuum response within our thorax for our lungs to expand and fill with air. The diaphragm sits right on top of our stomach, our liver, our gallbladder is just below that our pancreas and our intestines. When it expands and contracts, it's massaging and moving all of the organs below. When that happens, we're creating movement, we're creating motion, we're actually promoting positive detoxification and digestion and uh, stomach function and gallbladder function and vagus nerve function because the diaphragm is doing the job of physically moving those organs. It's reminding them that they're alive. 
when we breathe with our chest and not with our diaphragm, we're not getting any motion underneath there. And so these organs are like, okay, well, if we're not in parasympathetic because I'm not using my diaphragm, then these organs aren't in need of being turned turned on. So the vagus nerve can turn off. We're not in digestion mode, right? This is an issue with like the drive-through culture and this convenience eating culture is we're often eating in a rush. We're scarfing down our food. We're uh, shoveling food into our mouth rather than taking a moment and slowing down. That will help to shift our ability to digest. The breath is so important. Understanding that if we take those breaths optimally, calmly, relaxed. I even I saw the email that you guys send out before our podcast. I love it. Take a deep breath and tell yourself <laughs> that, that you can do this. That I was need to exactly send that email right. to myself. I know. I, I got... <laughs> it's a but good reminder. Exactly right. We forget. We forget. Yep. That's exactly right. And and I loved it because it was it was this exactly right moment of saying, okay, you got this. And that's that deep breath is shifting us into that parasympathetic zone where you can actually show up and you're actually sending more blood flow to your forebrain, to your, to your prefrontal cortex. So you can think more clearly when you take those deep breaths. Yeah. So the breath, no question about it. Top number one uh, reason or tool to use to activate the vagus nerve. Yeah. You talk about a whole list of things. Cal, you'd like this one, singing singing in your car. Yeah, yeah I can do that one. You lost me at cold showers. And yeah, <laughs> I was reading through that. Everyone's trying to convert me. I'm not there yet. I'm trying. I've been I'm trying for a year now. It's, I, don't, I haven't given up yet. Still <laughs> don't give up. It's totally worth it. I've done it a few times. I'm not opposed, but yes, yes. It's not something I'm like jumping to do every day. That's for sure. So the reason cold showers are good and, and the reason- Okay, I convince me. Here's your time. <laughs> so let's say, for example, you want to build uh, muscles. You, you do squatting, for example, okay? Yeah. You're squatting body weight. Phenomenal. Great. How do you up that? How do you make squatting more difficult? How do you get stronger? What do you have to do? You have to probably add extra weight on top of that. Throw a bar on your back, then add some extra weight on top of that. You have to add extra stress to the job that you're already doing. This is what cold is to breathing. Mm -hmm. Cold is the extra weight on breathing because cold is stress, right? Even just emotionally, you're like, oh, I don't want a cold shower. Never. It never gets easier. But it's awesome because when you finish it, you're like, yeah, I got this. Because it's not but just taking on the cold. now I get it. The way cold. you just explained that, I get it. Before I'm like, well, why am you. I doing this? Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, I, was, I wasn't explaining as well. <laughs> <laughs> Who in their right mind throws a bar and weight on their back when they're doing squat? But that's normal. That's okay. Yeah. Same idea with that. It is that added weight to your breath. That's a beautiful way to look at yeah. it, actually. And so like add a bar, that's like ending your shower with 30 seconds of cold. Mm-hmm. You want to go to the next level, jump in an ice bath. All right, let's not. (laughs) But there's levels to how do we do this? How do we promote this? And that's exactly what what, uh, the cold uh, exposure really, truly does. So is that the same as cryotherapy then too? That's exactly the same idea. In addition to this, the cold therapy actually stimulates uh, fat and mitochondrial function uh, throughout our body because all of a sudden we need to warm up, right? So... Let's say, for example, I live in Toronto, so the winters here are horrendous, snow, colds, you name it. A car that's sitting outside in the cold needs some time to warm up, right? It's got to get stronger. It's got to turn on. In the same way, cryotherapy is to your cells, like just warming up the car. So 
essentially what our body does as an if if the cold is the input our body turns on mitochondrial function it turns on the body heat and so it turns it up so that we have to function better mitochondrial function is the root of all cellular function if your cells aren't working it's because your mitochondria aren't producing enough energy cryotherapy turns the mitochondria on it's like giving the the body a boost or a jolt of just pure energy because we need to produce heat wow that's awesome yeah so cold or cryotherapy um taking cold showers they they work hand in hand because they promote mitochondrial function and they promote that deep diaphragmatic breathing while under stress mm. so hand in hand going there. So now you have give a reason. Another shot. I'll give another shot. I can't, I can't argue on that one. So I'll keep her accountable. Don't worry. I love it. I love it. Um, we talk a lot about sleep on this yeah. podcast and the importance of it. Uh, how does the quality of sleep affect the vagus nerve and, and vice versa? In the same way that we go to the gym, the vagus nerve works out when we're sleeping. That's what is really when the vagus nerve is, is doing its real work. That anti-inflammatory function, the function of being able to control inflammation levels, which is another huge task that's taken on by the vagus nerve, is done essentially while we're sleeping. So all the stressors that we experience through the day, all of the challenges that come up, everything that, that kind of knocks our body down a little bit, needs to be recovered so that we can show up the next day. And that's where the vagus nerve is, is going to be functioning. So a huge piece of vagus nerve function is the, a system that it basically controls called a cholinergic anti-inflammatory system. This helps to decrease inflammation within our gut, within our liver, within our spleen. It helps to just use those organs uh, using acetylcholine, which is the neurotransmitter used by the vagus nerve to uh, down-regulate all of the inflammatory functions within our body. So if we don't sleep well, we're not allowing the vagus nerve an opportunity to produce enough acetylcholine at those organs to reduce inflammation. This is what a good night's sleep means to the vagus nerve. So oftentimes, and I'm sure you did it with your whoop band as well, I wear my aura ring every night and I check my HRV and I check my readiness score in the morning. That's a sign of how strong my vagus nerve was working at night. And you'll often see as the night goes on, your HRV level increases. You'll often, if you take a look at the actual markers on the HRV, it'll go from 40, 50 up to 60, 70 in an ideal situation as the night goes on, not just looking at the average, but you're looking at the pattern that it's happening. What that means is you're getting good restorative sleep. You're actually turning your vagus nerve on. And as the night goes on, it's getting stronger and stronger and stronger. That's an ideal situation. That's that recovery component too. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, directly linked to that recovery component. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Tons of info. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's so good. Um, do you see kids who maybe have, have a vagus nerve that hasn't been activated? What are some of their symptoms? Like is, that even a thing? <laughs> yeah, sadly, it's it's much more of a thing now than it ever has been before. Yeah. Um, what's the best way to put this? Kids are socialized in a different way than we are. The stress levels that kids are under now is much more than we were. And we were much more than our parents were, and they were much more than their parents were. The stressors are different. We're under constant biochemical bombardment, right? The 
the average baby right now in their fetal blood has more than 200 toxins found within their, their like umbilical cord blood. Yeah. That's stress. That's biochemical stress. We expect our kids to get nineties and hundreds in school. That's emotional stress, right? They're sitting way more than they ever were. They're not playing outside as much as they were. Sitting is a stressor. Sitting is a new smoking, right? So that's a stressor on our body. Um, they're, they're sitting here staring at screens like we kind of are. And I do my best to get outside as much as I can, but this is something that, that they're built into. And so I see it way more often than I need to. I in fact have uh, a patient that, that came in today who was diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis mm. at age two. Like oh it's, God. it's crazy that things like this are even happening. Yeah. Right. It's, it's just nuts. Obviously the patient didn't come in mom brought her in, but yeah, of course. this was, this was like, these are sadly more common than we realize that kids have autoimmune conditions before they're teenagers. Yep. That kids are, are experiencing these stressors and vagus nerve dysfunction at such an early age, right? Even my four-year-old isn't breathing properly right now. And so these are signs that they're under a lot of pressure. And so what we need to do is do our best to eliminate some of those stressors, get them outside, get them fresh air, let them run around, let them experience different things outside, right? Like, I honestly think that outdoor time is probably one of the best things you can do for your kids. And it's because it also gets you outside and mm-hmm. it also gets you away from the screens and it gets you away from sitting on your couch or at your desk all day. And these last 18, 19 months have been absolutely horrendous for our social lives, right? We're, we're talking to people on the computer all the time. I'm staring at my screen all the time, all day being able to get outside and socialize and and be with others that actually turns on our vagus nerve laughter and social communication and social uh, function are are directly linked to HRV, which is really cool. So going out for dinner with friends or going to a park with your kids and letting them run around. We do this at least two or three times a week with my kids as we, we let them go and do stuff outside with other kids and, we're safe about it. We do what we need to do to be safe about it. But if we completely shut the world out and we increase our, our physical and emotional stress because of that, we're affecting our kids' mental and biological health. And so I see this happening way more often than it should. Yeah. Do you have any um, examples or success stories from patients that you've helped connect to and activate their vagus nerves? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been working now as a functional medicine practitioner for about seven years. Uh, that's when my journey really truly began. And so I immediately shifted towards this and the, let me think through a couple. So I've got uh, one that sticks out at the top of my head, a uh, professional CrossFit athlete, really great friend of mine as well, who uh, was dealing with emotional issues, trouble performing, at a high level, just, he was a games performer for many years and then just fell off track. Couldn't perform at the level that he ever wanted to tons of physical injuries. We activated vagus nerve using a lot of these tools. So, uh, we used the muscles here to do gargling and gag reflex, which is going to help, uh, stimulate the vagus nerve. We checked what was going on with a couple of functional lab tests internally at a couple of parasites 
We had to clear those out. We had to address his neurotransmitter balance as well. So we actually boosted his serotonin and dopamine levels. And within four months, he was back to competing at an incredibly high level. His social media following tripled and he's like flying, even if he isn't going to the games, he's back to being the competitive driven person that he used to be, which is just huge for somebody who was performing at such a high level and just had this drop off. Contrast that to a, a completely different scenario where we had 64, I believe 64 year old lady from California who was dealing with significant bloating and digestive dysfunction and major challenges with digestion overall. She was a business owner. She had all of these uh, other stressors that she had going on. Her kids were uh, near wildfires during the time. Like there was a lot of emotional and, and other challenges going on. We connected her uh, through functional lab testing to identify exactly what was going on in the gut, which bacteria, which parasites, what was happening using functional lab testing. We take that information, we plug it into our, our protocols that we talk about that we use depending on what we find on our testing. And with regards to boosting neurotransmitter function, digestive issues were gone in three months completely, like 100% wow. gone. And then to maintain it, that's where the vagus nerve function really comes in, right? So not only are we just trying to get rid of these, the root cause of the challenge, but we want this to be a thing that you have forever, right? And so this is where learning those practices that help to keep us in that parasympathetic mode 80% of the time, we have to be able to shift to sympathetic. Survival is important, right? Fight or flight is important. We need to work out, we need to push ourselves. But we want that primarily to be hermetic response. That's good because it's training us to be able to push back towards sympathetic. Yeah. And be able to we be can't live there though. Exactly. And that's the problem is the vast majority of us are living in that sympathetic state. And if we can shift ourselves into that parasympathetic way more often, think through things more clearly, respond to things more clearly, we can show up at a better rate every single day. Yeah, we all need to slow down. <laughs> yeah. Preach. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so true. Wow. Yeah. I've learned so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for your, your willingness to share and, and for your time and for your book. It's helped me. It's helped me help my clients. And it's just, I can't thank you enough. It's my absolute pleasure and my honor. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Where, where can, can people find go you? Got it. No, <laughs> go ahead. Where can people find you? <laughs> so our clinic is online. It's called health upgraded. Um, you can find me there. I am the practitioner. And then you can check, take a look at the book. It's called Activate Your Vagus Nerve. Um, so right we, yeah, it was, it was, I still remember the first time I picked it up and I said, holy crap, I wrote a book. Aww, <laughs> so amazing. Awesome. An amazing feeling. So um, I, I essentially put it together with basic, simple tools anybody can take on. 90% of these things cost $0.00. And they're things that anybody can do right now to really help optimize their health. I really just wanted it to be empowering for people to start making positive shifts in their health. And it is. It's been that's empowering. That's I can me. get behind. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Can't wait to put some of the tools into practice. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for your yeah. work and for, for coming on and hanging out with us today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to hearing about those cold showers. Okay, I'll let you know. I'll report back. <laughs> Take care. Thank you. Thanks, Dr. Habib. Thanks, guys. 
Thanks for listening. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, we invite you to come be a part of the HDC community. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching at Have the Convo. For information on all of our shows, guests, and more, visit htcpod.com. While you're there, be sure to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Talk soon.